Okay, well, let's study God's Word together. Looking forward to studying uh, the book of Hebrews with you uh, for a good while now. And um, we're going to be in Hebrews chapter 1 today if you want to find that uh, in a Bible or if you've got a device with the uh, Bible on it, phone, what tablet, whatever, to open up your Bible app. Always good to follow along. Now, uh, for those that are with us in person, they're getting these today. And if listen, if you're watching on at home, North Parkers, and you're like, "Hey, I want one of these too," uh, you can get one. This is a little, um, it's 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 a little Bible journal. All it is is the Book of Hebrews. So it's got the Scripture in it on one side. On the other side, it's got place for notes, and it's like that on every page, right? You got Scripture on one side, place to take notes, and this is a way. It's kind of a dedicated way for you to engage with the sermon um, or to read along with us during the week uh, in your personal devotion time to make notes to write. A prayer, write sermon notes, whatever it is you need to do to better interact with this book. And, um, and so if you want one of these, um, respond to the email that went out. If we don't have your email, email us at info at gonorthpark.com and let us know. We'll arrange a time for you to come by and pick one up at the church uh, and, um, and we can, can kind of go from there. But I want you to be able to have one if you would like one for that helpful tool. Um, you can also find them on Amazon. But um, so today, here we are. We're in the book of Hebrews. Um, we're going to be in chapter one and part of chapter two today. And let me ask you a question. Have you ever been caught not paying attention when you're supposed to be paying attention? Uh, if, if you're like me, you probably have at some point or another. Most of us have. You kind of get caught off guard. You've been distracted or you've kind of zoned out. Maybe the red light turned and you were listening to the music or mentally checked out and somebody behind you has to honk and you realize, oh, the red light is now green and you have to go or the teacher calls on you in class and you discover and everybody else in class discovered you were in la-la land in that moment and you were kind of startled back to paying attention or maybe you zoned out at a meeting at work and the next meeting at work you realize that uh, something had been assigned to you that you didn't realize had been assigned to you Um, or maybe there's a conversation with your spouse and you get caught nodding along but they begin to realize pretty quickly that you're not really listening. Now, that's never happened to me, but I'm assuming maybe it's happened to some of you out there um, who are not as perfect as me in those areas. But the truth is, we've all, uh, we've all at some point or another, kind of drifted and not paid attention or zoned out, so to speak. And today, as we kick off our series in the book of Hebrews, we're going to see the writer is going to urge us to pay attention. To what? To God. <laughs> to the Lord Jesus Christ, his son, to his word, to his gospel. He's calling us to pay attention. And before we dive into Hebrews, it's always important to know the context of the book that you are studying, the the details of the book, like like who wrote it, to who were they writing, or whom were they writing, when did they write it, what was going on, things of that nature. But with Hebrews, here's the thing. There's not a lot that we know uh, of all the books in the New Testament. It's one of the few that we know the least about in terms of uh, the author and, the con- and, and what was going on at the time and things of that nature. But So let's talk a little bit about that, though. So the book does not tell us who wrote it, so we don't know who the author is. Now, there have been a lot of guess- guesses over the centuries. Um, people have guessed Paul, Barnabas, Luke. Apollos, and that's exactly what all those things are. They're guesses. We really can't say with certainty because God's word does not tell us with certainty. Maybe it was one of those people. Maybe it was none of those people. We really don't know for sure. It likely wasn't the Apostle Paul since he's always put his name in his letters. So we, we, but we do know, we do know some things about the author. We know they had a keen understanding of the Old Testament. As we go through the book, you'll begin to see that. They really had a keen understanding of the Old Testament. 
Uh, they also had a keen understanding of the Greek language. Greek language. It is an extremely well-written book, scholars will tell you, in the Greek. So this was a, 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 a wise person. This was somebody that understood Greek well, somebody that understood the Old Testament well and had a good handle on these things. Now, but we don't know exactly who that person was. Well, when did they write it? Well, it was likely written sometime before 70 AD, so maybe like 60s AD or AD, AD 70, before that time. Um, commentators point out the reason for that is when he writes in this book, um, this, that he writes as though sacrifices were still being offered at the temple, and the temple was destroyed in AD 70. He also talks about Timothy in the book, who was a contemporary of Paul, and it seems he is talking about that Timothy. So that gives us the, the time period, sort of, and then we've got the recipients of the book. Who's he writing to? Well, we can't be certain of the exact audience, okay? We can't be certain exactly who they are, but there is internal evidence, and there's a reason. Like, when you see uh, it's called the letter to the Hebrews in your Bible, well, understand the writer didn't write that. Like, he, he didn't like when, when he wrote the letter, he didn't say letter to the Hebrews. Like, that's not from, um, uh, that's not from the manuscripts that we get. That's, that's not what that is. Uh, human authors have, or excuse me, uh, people that have put the Bible together ha have placed that title on it. And the reason they did is because there's internal evidence that this was written to uh, Jewish Christians. Uh, that, that's what we seem to know. And the reason we say that is, well, they he assumes that they have professed faith in Christ, that they uh, have been following Christ. He also assumes a ton of Old Testament knowledge, okay? He kind of assumes that of them in the way he goes about this. So it seems that these were people who were Jewish who began to believe that Jesus is the Messiah and to follow him. And also uh, because of, of the, uh, uh, the Greek and the use of, of, the, uh, the, use of the Greek um, New Testament and things of that nature, we see here that this was likely uh, Greek-speaking uh, Jewish Christians or Hellenistic. Jewish Christians. So what was going on when he wrote these people? Well, it seems that these believers had endured persecution and some were growing weary in their race. It's, in fact, it seems that some were in danger of actually retreating away from the faith. Maybe they were thinking they would just go back to a Judaism without, without Jesus or something like that. And the writer writes to point them to Jesus and to display that there is no need to retreat back to a faith without Jesus as Messiah for he's better than everything the Old Testament has to offer because all of the Old Testament ultimately is pointing to and culminating in him. In fact, he is supreme to all and God has spoken he has revealed himself to us through Jesus Christ, his son. Therefore, we need to trust Jesus. We need to follow Jesus. We need to obey Jesus. And we need to persevere in our walk with him. So it's, this is a call to persevering faith. It's a call to recognize that there's no better place to turn, no better place to look to than the Lord Jesus Christ. We need to stay with him. So in Hebrews, you'll see there is a ton of Old Testament references. The writer wants us to see that Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of all the Old Testament, Old Testament messianic promises. You will see warnings against falling away from the faith because he wants to encourage us to continue to pursue Jesus. You, you, you'll see the term translated better or superior uh, several times in the book because he wants us to uh, see that Jesus is in fact better as he'll point out uh, than the prophets or the angels or Moses. He offers a better sacrifice. He, he, um, uh, he offers a, a better way, a better life, a better future, a better hope. He, his, he enacts a new and better covenant and it is through him that God has spoken and we need to heed what God has said. We need to pay attention. 
So here today in Hebrews chapter 1 and part of chapter 2, we will see that we need to pay attention to what God is saying by his son Jesus. And this passage, I believe, gives us three reasons that we need to pay attention. So look with me, starting in Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. Be uh, there on the screen for you as well. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. Okay, uh, number one here today, God has spoken. Pay attention because God has spoken. We, we know and we can understand from the Bible that God is a God who speaks, and so therefore you can know him. We do not serve a God who has chosen to be distant from us. We serve a God who has chosen to reveal himself to us and to speak to us because he wants us to know him. He wants us to be in relationship with him. He has spoken through his creation, and even more clearly, he has spoken through his word. In the Old Testament, he spoke through the prophets, he points out here. He gave them, uh, he spoke in many ways and at many times, as the writer says. He gave visions, dreams. He spoke in all kinds of ways, but he spoke, and he spoke through the prophets. In the Old Testament, we see God speak to Noah and have him build an ark to preserve humanity. God spoke to Moses and had him lead his people out of slavery and gave him the law on Mount Sinai, the Ten Commandments. He spoke and gave the sacrificial system and the ways in which the people were to approach him and the need for a priest to make intercession on their behalf because of their sin. All through the Old Testament, beginning with Genesis, at the very beginning, we see that God speaks. And this is good news. This is good news because it means we can know him. Listen, communication is important to know someone. You can't know someone uh, if they don't open up to you. The best way to learn about someone is from them, from them revealing their heart, their intentions, their character, their motives through their communication, through, the, through your interaction with them. And God has chosen to speak to interact with us. He's chosen to reveal his heart, his character, his plans, his motives, his goals through his word. God is a speaking God. And he speaks to us because he desires for us to be in right relationship with him. That's what he created us for. And the reason we know that is because he has spoken and he has showed us that in his word. In God's grace and his, in his goodness, he has spoken. You don't have to want, wander through life, wandering around, wondering what God wants from you, what God wants you to do, what God's will for you is. God has spoken. Imagine if you got a new boss at work. And first day they walk in and you, you say hi and kind of try to introduce yourself and they just kind of look at you, don't speak and keep walking by and you're like, well, that was weird. And then you finally get a meeting with them. You sit down with them. You say, what is it that you would like me to do? How is it that I can better contribute to the company? And they just kind of look at you. Uh, what is it that you're hoping to get from my position to help bring more success to the organization? And they just kind of stare at you. And you would leave that meeting thinking they hate me. They hate me, and obviously they have it out for me. Uh, they can't have good intentions for me. This is weird. They have no intention to communicate with me. Listen, God owes us nothing. He owes us nothing. He, he owes us not a word, yet he has chosen to speak. 
He's a speaking God and he, because he wants us to know him. He wants us to love him. He wants us to obey him. He has not given us the silent treatment. Though we certainly deserve it, he has not given us the silent treatment. Now, because it is God who is speaking, that heightens the stakes. It heightens the stakes. What I say is of infinite smallness in comparison to what God says, which is of infinite value. What God says is of supreme importance. Who God is is of supreme importance. This raises the stakes. It's one thing to ignore a stranger. It's another thing to ignore a friend. It's another thing to ignore a family member. But to ignore God, how foolish must we be? God has spoken. Pay attention. Number two, God has spoken finally and supremely by his son. He has spoken finally and supremely by his son. In these last days, he says, he has spoken to us by his son. All the Old Testament was leading to this. The Old Testament is about Jesus and is pointing ahead to him. Finally now, God has sent Jesus. And in Jesus, God reveals himself. Jesus is the final and the supreme way that God has spoken. He has communicated with us. We can learn about God from the Old Testament, right? But in Jesus, we see God. God has fully revealed himself and made himself known. This is why we don't, need, we don't await or need more books of the Bible. We're not sitting around wondering like, hey, is there another, another one coming hot off the presses that we can tack on to the end of Revelation? No, the book is closed. There's a finality with the coming of Jesus Christ into the world. Notice the contrast in the text with that word and the final word, from God, the, uh, the, the, the Old Testament, and, the, and then the final word in, in Jesus. It was long ago, and he says, and now in these last days. Or it was the prophets, and now it's through the Son. It was the fathers being spoken to, and now it's to us that he has spoken to. It was many times in many ways, but now there's one way. He's spoken through Jesus. See, there's a finality to God speaking. The Old Testament progressed to his coming. There is no one else coming but Jesus. In his return, there's no new revelation. God has spoken in a final way and in a supreme way by his son. Listen, the writer describes Jesus in a way that shows his supremacy over all things is the son of God. Listen to how he describes him here. Let's go back through the text. He says he's been appointed heir of all things. See, because Jesus is God's son, everything that belongs to the father belongs to Jesus. God owns everything. You know that, right? I mean, he owns everything. Cattle on a thousand hills. He owns everything. There's nothing in the world that God doesn't stake claim on and say, that's mine. And because Jesus is the heir of all things, because he is the heir of all of this, there's nothing that Jesus doesn't stake his claim over and say, that's mine. He has authority over all things. As the son of God, Jesus is the the heir to all things in the world. He's also the agent of creation, he says. It's through Jesus God made all things. Jesus isn't a creation. Anytime someone teaches you and they try to tell you that, that Jesus was God's first creation in the sense of he was the first person God made, they are teaching you a heresy, a false teaching. Jesus has always been. He's eternally existed with God for all of eternal. In a point in time in, in history, he became into humanity, took on human flesh, but he's always been. He is the agent of creation. All things were made by him, and all things were made for him, according to Colossians 1.16. And Jesus is the radiance of God's glory. Radiance means to, to send forth light. Some translations actually say he's the brightness of his glory. Jesus radiates the glory of God. He is God made manifest. In other words, God has revealed himself clearly in 
Jesus. And Jesus is the exact imprint of God's nature. The very substance of who Jesus is, is God. It means he is the exact representation of the very substance of God. George Guthrie notes the word used here, uh, quote, originally denoted an instrument fused for engraving and later the impression made by such an engraving. He he said it's kind of like a a stamp on a coin, right? Uh, Jesus is the exact imprint of God's nature. He's also the upholder, he says, of the universe. Uphold here means to support, to maintain, to sustain. As we speak, Jesus Christ is holding the world together. Think about that. He is the one that keeps everything in order and from spinning out of control and makes sure everything progresses exactly according to the perfect will of God, moving towards God's ultimate redemptive plans. Guthrie, who I quoted, says this is likely a managerial sense, as in Jesus carries the created order toward God's goal. He sees that God's plan is carried out. You know, in the crazy time that is 2020, isn't that good news? Like, that Jesus is in control, that right now, if you feel like the world is spinning out of control, if your personal world feels kind of chaotic right now, just know it's not. There is one that can calm the storm. There is one who walks on the waves. There is one who is carrying all things towards God's designed plan. And his name is Jesus, the sustainer of the universe that can be the sustainer of your life. And believer in Christ, you know him. You know the one who sustains all things. You know him and he loves you. That's an incredible truth to think about today, that the whole universe is sustained by the one who knows you and who loves you. And he's the purifier from sin. Uh, The supreme one, the son of God, the agent of creation, the sustainer of the universe has made purification for sins, he says. Wow, all the Old Testament sacrifices were pointing ahead to an ultimate sacrifice that would come. And there would be no need for any other sacrifices. And he's going to get into that later in Hebrews, but that's the point he's making here. He is the one who has come to make the ultimate purification for sins. He'll say later, the blood blood of bulls and goats, they, they couldn't take away sin. It took the blood of the son of God to ultimately make purification for sin. Only Jesus, only the Son of God could take away sin. Only he could do that for us, that we could never do even for ourselves. And he says he's, now he's seated. He sat down, he's seated at the right hand of God. He's seated in the position of authority, the position of honor. He's ruling and reigning as king. F.F. Bruce writes, he is the prophet through whom God has spoken his final word. He is the priest who has accomplished a perfect work of cleansing for his people's sins. And he is the king who sits enthroned in the place of chief honor alongside the majesty on high. What an incredible sweeping picture of the Lord Jesus Christ and his supremacy and his authority and his power right here in the book of Hebrews. And then look what he says in verse four. He tells us he's better or superior to the angels, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. He's, he's more superior because his name is, is more excellent, right? He's more, he's more superior because he's, he's, he's offered the sacrifice for sins. He's more, he was superior and he's, he's more superior. He's, he's always been superior. He'll always be superior in his person, in his work, in every way. But you might wonder, why would he point this out? Like, why tell us that he's more superior to angels? Don't, don't we already know that? Well, there are false teachers, even today in 2020, that try to see Jesus as merely an angel. Just an angel. That some, at some point in time became the son of God. And, and that's just not the truth. That's, 
that's just not the truth. He, he is the eternal son of God. God, the son. Even in their day, there was some with an unhealthy view or obsession with angels. We even see that in our day when people think Christians become angels when they die or, or, or that, that they get angel wings or something like that. That's not true, right? That's, that's baloney. That's, that's folklore. That's, that's not Bible, right? You're not going to die and become an angel, right? No, but that doesn't happen. You don't die and get wings. That doesn't happen. We're, we're not to be obsessed with angels. Some people are obsessed with angels and it's and we're supposed to be obsessed with Jesus he's and that's his point here that there had even in their day there was developing some unhealthy views of these things and he said Jesus is supreme to all that but also he's pointing out he's going to he's going to tell us uh in chapter two he's going to point out that uh that the law which was and he talks about the angel's role and the bringing in the in the instrumentation of the law and and, and so in he's comparing the two and he's saying Jesus is greater than the angel's the gospel is greater, right? This final word, the message is greater. All this is pointing to Jesus and to his gospel. So that's the other correlation he's trying to make here and the reason that he would park out on angels for a while is because of their connection to the law and Jesus' connection to the gospel and as the one who has fulfilled the law. In verses 5 through 14, he expands this thought of the idea of Jesus superior to the angels. He explains that he's, he's superior because of his relationship to the Father. He quotes from Psalm 2-7 and 2 Samuel 7-14 in verse 5 um, when he says, For to which of the angels did God ever say, You are my son? Today I have begotten you. Or again, I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son. He points out Jesus' divine nature, quoting from Deuteronomy 32-43, Psalm 104-4, and Psalm 45-6 and 7, and Psalm 102-25-27. Tons of Old Testament references here, down in verses, starting in verse 6, when he says, and again, when the, he brings the firstborn into the world, he says, let all God's angels worship him. See, the angels worship Jesus. Of the angels, he says, he makes his angels winds and his ministers a flame of fire. But of the Son, he says, your throne, O God, See that connection there? Of the Son, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. And you, Lord, laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment, like a robe. You will roll them up. Like a garment, they will be changed, but you are the same and your years will have no end. His divine nature, but also his divine authority as he quotes from Psalm 110.1. He loves Psalm 110. He's always pulling and throughout the book of Hebrews, you'll see him quoting the Old Testament. He says in verse uh, 13 and 14, and to which of the angels has he ever said, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? Are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation? See, it's Jesus is the one. And, and the angels are sent out, and they're sent out to serve, but Jesus sits on the throne with authority and with power. He is the supreme one. He is better. The point of the chapter is clear, that God has spoken, and he has spoken finally, and he has spoken supremely in Jesus, the exalted Son of God, the one through whom and for whom all things were made. The one who sustains all things. The one who is better than all else. The one who has made purification for sin by dying for sinners on the cross. And this is good news. 
Because we can know God and we can know his will through Jesus Christ. God has spoken. He has spoken finally and supremely through Jesus. And this is good news. We don't have to wander around wondering if God loves us, wondering what God wants for us, wondering how do I please God, how do I know his will. God has spoken. He wants us to trust and follow Christ, to exalt Christ, to live for Christ. So we better pay attention. And that's where he comes to in Hebrews chapter 2. So look with me. Hebrews chapter 2 verses 1 through 4. Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how should we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was declared at first by the Lord, and it was attested to us by those who heard, while God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. That brings us to point number three. God holds us accountable for our response. God has spoken. He has spoken supremely. And finally, through Jesus, his son, he holds us accountable for our response. And that's what verses one through four are telling us. The writer of Hebrews is telling us how to apply that first chapter of Hebrews. Heed what God is saying. Pay attention. God will hold us accountable for what we do with the good news of Jesus Christ. He will hold us accountable for how we respond to him. So he says, pay attention to what you've heard in the gospel. Because after responding, even, we face, in some way, maybe you've heard the gospel, maybe you've professed faith in Christ, but we face the danger of drift. He says that here, right? Pay closer attention to what we've heard, lest we drift away from it. He warns that we pay attention lest we spiritually drift away. And that's a real danger in life. The word drift here is a nautical term. It's the idea of being carried along, like carried along by the current, uh, carried along, tossed by the waves. He is warning against the danger of simply drifting along, away from God's word, away from the gospel, carried away from it. Listen, the world has a current that is flowing, and it is flowing away from God, not towards God. The world is in rebellion to God, and it's flowing and running away from him. It's like a river cascading down a hill away from God and his purposes. His will. Man is in rebellion to God. And that's man's natural state that we're born into in this fallen world, this rebellion. But if we name the name of Christ, we must be careful to not get caught in that current. To not simply drift away from the gospel and ultimately away from Christ, ultimately away from God. We must actively choose to hear and to believe and to obey the word of God, to cling to Christ in faith and to build our lives on him, to trust him and follow him. One way we can drift is seen right here in the text. It's the word neglect. How should we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It's the idea of being unconcerned and apathetic about the salvation offered in Christ. You know, it's human nature to have a level of this sort of neglectfulness. Every year, and it's soon to be, it's hard to believe, here we are in September, it won't be long, Christmas will roll around and then New Year's will roll around. And this is what I know is going to happen on New Year's because I've been guilty of it myself at some point or another is a bunch of people are going to run down to the YMCA or run down to LA Fitness or one of the gyms and they're going to sign up for a membership, right? And they're going to make some real big commitments to, to eat better and to exercise better and, and the gym is going to be packed for January. And it may even be pretty full for February, but by Easter, by Easter, it's empty, 
right? It's, 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 and everybody's still paying the membership fees, right? But they've neglected it. They've kind of drifted away from it. We've, we've all done something like that. We all have things that we become unconcerned with or apathetic towards. Maybe for you, maybe you're apathetic towards sports. You could care less what happens. There's no big game to you. You, could, you watch the Super Bowl for the commercials if you watch it all. Or, or maybe it's politics and you can't stand to hear people debate and talk about politics because you're completely unconcerned with it. Or maybe it's certain hobbies. Maybe you could care less about uh, certain things like that or certain subjects in school or certain styles of music. You know, we, we all had a subject in school that we, could, we just didn't care for. Well, here's the thing. Apathy and this neglectfulness and this unconcern is a natural thing that we struggle with in life or that we have towards certain things. But here's the danger. There are a lot of people who call themselves Christians who will tell you Jesus is Lord, that Jesus is their Lord, who say they follow Jesus but have little interest in Christ, little interest in God's word, little interest in God's saving work. They are unconcerned, they're apathetic, and they may have been baptized as a child, they may attend church many times, but they are constantly drifting along with the world and away from God and away from Christ, and it shows up in what they value and how, what their attitude is, what their behaviors and habits and lifestyle is, and Hebrews is warning, pay attention attention. Wake up. Don't drift. It can happen. Don't let it happen to you. This is a warning for all of us not to allow ourselves to grow spiritually apathetic and lazy. We can wander from God. We can wander to the, some wander, some wander to the point that they prove that they never had faith to begin with. It's not that they wander away and they had genuine faith and now they don't. It just proves that they never had genuine faith because the faith of the Bible, the faith in Christ that Hebrews extols us to have in Hebrews 11 is a persevering faith. And see, drifters face the danger of judgment. That's what verses 2 and 3 are about. Since the message declared by the angels proved to be reliable and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how should we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? Here's the point. The message declared by angels here is the law. And there are, uh, there are other uh, passages that point to the angel's role in this in, in the Bible. But he is saying if there are, were consequences, if there are consequences for disobeying the law in the Old Testament, what are going to be the consequences of ne- neglecting Christ and his gospel? What's going to be the judgment for that? Uh, Jesus is the final and supreme way that God has spoken. What happens if you fail to believe on Christ? What happens if you leave the faith? What happens if you neglect this salvation offered to you in Jesus? Judgment. Judgment. See, friends, the point is Jesus and his gospels are only hope. Christ has come. He is the Son of God. He is superior. He is all Hebrews 1 declares him to be that we went through today. He has, he's our only shot at purification from sin. Through his dying for us, we've sinned against a just and holy God. We deserve to be punished for that sin. We deserve that that just retribution for our transgressions. But Jesus has laid down his life for us, dying in our place on the cross. The son of God who lived a sinless life goes to the cross, dies in our place, bearing our sin, taking the wrath of God that we deserve. Three days later, rising from the dead. And we're called to repent, to turn away from our sin and to believe in him because he is our only hope. He's our only chance at being reconciled to God. Our only chance at knowing God is through faith in Jesus Christ. How should we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? And God has made the authenticity of the gospel clear. In verses three and four, he talks about this. It was declared at first by the Lord and it was attested to us by those who heard 
while God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. He's saying God made the gospel clear and authenticated it through signs, wonders, miracles, gifts of the Spirit. Read the gospels. Read the book of Acts. God made it clear and now has given us his word because he wants us to know that yes, Jesus is his son and Jesus is the only way to him and life and everything about life and about what God is, is doing in the world is ultimately about what God is doing in and through Jesus Christ. So don't miss it. That's the point here. Don't drift away from it. If you've, if you've professed faith in Christ, stay the course, pursue Jesus. Pay attention to your spiritual journey, to your walk. You know, we go to the beach from time to time, and Cannon, our oldest, he likes to, to get out on his, his kneeboard and to, um, to get out there and, and play in the waves. And uh, it's, really, it's really, well, it's really more of a little, you know, not really a kneeboard. It's more of a, one of those little deals you, you lay down on and you ride the wave in. And um, he loves to do that. And I'll tell him, you know, I want you to be right here. I'm, on, you know, I'm watching him. And then, you know, a couple of times go by, and then he's here. Then he's here. Then he's here. And then he's here. And I'm like, hey, Cannon, you got to get back over here. And he runs back over here. And he'll get frustrated. You know, one time I remember him saying, he's like, I'm not doing it. The waves keep knocking me down there. And I'm like, yeah, you've got to pay attention. And I want you to consciously walk back to this spot right here in front of me every time you come in because I want you right in front of me of me. So you got to pay attention because yes, the, the current is going that way. The waves are moving that way. Everything in you is going to go that way if you don't pay attention and call yourself back to this point. Let this message be a clear call for you to stop drifting if you have. To wake up. To not be carried away by the various things that can carry you away from God, from Christ, from the gospel but to lean into Jesus, to follow him. There's no one better. Let me ask you, how do you plan to escape the judgment of God if you neglect the salvation that's offered to us in Jesus Christ? You can't be good enough. You can't be sincere enough. Our only shot is Jesus, who laid down his life for us so that we can know God through faith in him. Have you trusted him? I encourage you, if you... If you haven't, would you put your faith in him today? God has spoken. He's revealed himself through Jesus. And it's Jesus, the supreme son of God, who laid down his life for you on the cross, who has risen from the dead. And if you'll repent of your sin and put your faith in him, you can be saved. Whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's you. If you've never called on him, would you reach out to him today in faith and believe? If you have questions about that, we'd love to walk with you through that. Email us at info at gonorthpark.com. If you, if you make a decision today to follow Christ, we'd love to celebrate with you. Send us an email. Let us know. We'd love to send you some material to pray with you. Let us know about your newfound journey with Christ, faith in Christ. If you've never trusted him, what's your plan for escaping judgment? That's the point here. He said, pay attention. This is our only hope. And If you claim to follow him, but you've wandered far from God, where do you think you're going? What do you think this world has to offer that's better than Christ? How should you escape if you neglect such a great salvation? Listen, believer, let me ask you, are you paying attention to your journey? Are we pursuing the things of God? Are we holding to Christ? Let me urge you today, pay attention. Be reminded that God has spoken. He's spoken supremely and finally through Jesus. And he holds us accountable for our response. Pray with me. Father, we thank you. 
uh, for your message in the book of Hebrews. We thank you that you have spoken, that you are a God who speaks. And even today, you're, you're speaking to hearts, to the preaching of your word, drawing people to yourself, encouraging people. Um, and, and, and Lord, that you're, you're wooing people towards Jesus. And I, and I, I pray for anyone listening that's, that's uh, feeling compelled to put their faith in Jesus, that anyone that's watching that today, that they would trust Christ and build their life on him. I pray for every believer, Lord, that's tempted to wander or that has wandered, who has drifted spiritually, Lord, that we would be called back to Christ, to following him, to not neglecting, to not drifting. Help us to stay the course. Help us to persevere. Help us to rely on Christ because it's only by your grace that we can do so. And help us to build our lives on him. And help us to be careful to pay attention to our walk with Christ, to pay attention to what you have said through him. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.